got a question to start with. It's not that question. We'll get to that one. Let's see how many of you paid attention in school. And with this question, some of you are going to wonder why you're here. What, does anybody know what the second law of thermodynamics is? That always gets a crowd going. <laughs> Just checking. Figured I'd throw it. Seriously, anybody know second law of thermodynamics? Entropy, which means... <laughs> Yeah, I put it this way. It's a scientific principle that as time goes on, things tend to stop working the way they should and fall apart. The scientific principle. In general, systems degrade. Things that work tend toward, move toward, falling apart. I see this in my car. I see it in my house. You fix something, it's working for a while. Next week, you know, I get the call at the office. There's water all over the floor. Something's going on. Something is always breaking and it always has to be fixed. We see this in the weeds that grow when we leave our yards unattended or our gardens unattended. I figure my yard at this point just is weeds, so it looks beautiful. It all counts. My neighbor the other day helpfully said that he was volunteering to put down weed killer in our yard. <laughs> I was like, sure. Now, I know why he's doing it. Because <laughs> he doesn't want them coming into his yard. But hey, I'll take it. Take the win. I think we feel it in our bodies as we age. Things that we could once do now are hard. I've been leading the youth group on Friday nights. We started playing soccer almost every Friday. Ton of fun. Pay for it for a couple days after. There was a show I really enjoyed years ago. It was on the Discovery Channel. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called Mythbusters. Anybody ever heard of Mythbusters? It's got to be my all-time favorite show. Mythbusters is exactly what it says. They would bust myths. Usually, what they were looking for was uh, any excuse to blow something up. That's basically what it was. At the end of the show, they would literally go out with a bang. They would bring in uh, explosive experts and, and local fire departments. And it was a training activity for them and just a great spectacle for the rest of us. And there's one in particular, the most famous explosion in Mythbusters history. The myth was that you could clean out a cement truck that had dried cement in it by throwing in dynamite. Now, they brought in one that, you know, had a little bit left in it, and they tried it, and I think some of it came off. I, I don't remember what the conclusion of that was, because that really didn't matter. Because then they brought in a truck that was full of cement that they had let harden. And they decided, let's put in as much explosive as we could. Kids, don't try this at home. Not that you could. Uh, good luck finding the cement truck. But even if you do, don't, don't, don't do it. I saw my buddy do it once. <laughs> Not like this, I guarantee. They filled this cement truck with so much explosion or explosives that when it went off, the truck literally disappeared. Completely. There was nothing remaining there. It was spread out for hundreds and hundreds of yards. 
And, and what was so great about it is that they would use these super slow motion cameras. And so you got to see this thing and you got to see the charges go off and, and the explosion spread and the little pieces start to fly off and then the fireball would spread and you could see the shockwave go out. It was so cool. And then it was just boom. The whole screen was filled with the explosion. And then they would come down and they would pick up little pieces of the truck and laugh about it. It was amazing. But the problem is, like the second law of thermodynamics says, everything tends to fall apart. We are all, in one way or another, living in moments of this cataclysmic explosion that started when Adam and Eve sinned. And since then, we are in this slow motion time when everything is falling apart gradually, year after year, generation after generation, and day after day in our own lives. And what makes for a fantastic spectacle on TV is really hard to live in in our own lives. But the question I want us to consider is what if... What if you could watch that in reverse? What if you could experience in reverse? What if you were there looking at all the pieces of the truck that had been spread out over a mile or so, and you started seeing those pieces begin to wiggle and drag through the dirt? And all of a sudden, they flew back to the middle. And the explosion sucked in, and the shockwave sucked back in, and the truck right before your very eyes was put together and worked and was fine. Wouldn't that be amazing? But what if we could see that in our own lives? What if we could see it in our own world, where the pieces that have been spread and scattered over time, and the hurt and the pain could be healed and drawn back together and made new? What if? Wouldn't that be amazing? On Friday, we looked at the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. It is finished. And we looked at what was finished on the cross. The payment for sin, the payment for death, it was finished on the cross. And today I want to look at this question, what was started at the empty tomb? And I want us to consider that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it meant that there entered into the world the possibility that things that tend to fall apart could begin to operate in reverse and be brought back together. That's what started at the cross or at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That death itself could be turned around and work back and work backwards, so that by dying, Jesus Christ can offer life. That's what happened at the cross in the empty tomb. So I want to look at three things that happened at the empty tomb, that we have a new creation that started at the empty tomb, that we have new life that started at the empty tomb, and new hope that started at the empty tomb. And first I want to begin with this, this new creation. We lived in Connecticut before moving here, and, and a tree was planted in our side yard. That thing tried so hard to make it. And I tried so hard to keep it alive. I know nothing about gardening or trees or, or keeping plants alive. I do pretty well with kids. Horrible with plants. 
that tree, it was, you know, it was a tiny little thing. It was only about this big and it was planted and, and it, I, I don't think the soil was prepared. For, I mean, I act like I know. I have no idea. I didn't plant it. Somebody else planted it. Not in my family. <laughs> and I went out there and I watered it. I fertilized it. And it just never quite took off. And occasionally it would begin like one shoot would grow a couple leaves. And I was like, yes, it's going to make it. And then the next week they'd be gone. This went on, no joke, for like a year and a half, two years. I tried to nurse this thing back. Parts would be obviously dead. I would trim them off and cut it back. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. I worked so hard. But after about two years, it was very clear it was dead, and I just had to take it out. There's a saying that only two things are certain in this world, death and taxes. By the way, for each of you, one of those things is due soon. (laughs) I'll let you figure out which one. But, But we have this struggle where we work so hard to keep things alive. And life itself has become so difficult often. But this world that we live in, it was created by God. And yet throughout scripture, there's language that creation itself, the natural world is struggling. The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of all of scripture. It all comes from here. God created everything. We can go on and talk about how he created it with a purpose. But what I want to look at is John chapter 1. John is writing a gospel. A gospel is good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. So all of the gospel of John and Matthew and Mark and Luke as well, they are the account of who Jesus is and what he did by people that were either there or spoke to people that were there. In John's case, he was there. And it's so fascinating the way John begins his gospel. And it reminds us of the words of Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's John doing here? John is tying who Jesus is and what Jesus did all the way back to creation. And in a way, he's looking at the account of creation through a different lens. The lens of look at who Jesus is, died on the cross, has risen from the grave. That changes everything. And so John is writing this gospel, this good news of Jesus. And he goes through the cross. We looked at that Friday. Chris just read the account of the resurrection. And then I love that verse at the end of the chapter, John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a new creation full of new life that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. I think so often we feel as we interact with the world or we think about our own lives, we can feel that there is something broken that needs fixing. Sometimes it's more obvious. Sometimes it's just kind of a vague notion But there are things in our lives, in our culture, maybe even in our bodies that are just steadily disintegrating and falling apart. And it's hard. And we hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. He says, so from now on, he's talking about after he's come to know who Jesus is. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. 
He says, if it is true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose from the grave, we have to think about everything differently. And then he goes on in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. In some translations, maybe in your Bible, in this verse, it says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's true. When we receive Jesus Christ, we are recreated. We become new people beginning from the inside out. And one day when Jesus comes back, we will be resurrected completely and fully and spend eternity with him. And I do believe that's what Paul is talking about. But I think he's talking about more than that. He's saying if one person has been saved by Jesus Christ and one person has been recreated, then an entire new creation has come that is open to everyone who receives Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins and risen from the grave, there is a new creation, a new beginning available to all who trust in Jesus. And so at the empty tomb, this explosion that caused sin to come into the world and its influence and impact to spread throughout the world, that explosion begins acting in reverse. And sin, which has this destructive effect on creation, is now healed through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is a new creation The other thing that we have because of that is a new hope. There's a new hope that begins at the empty tomb. There's a a side effect of the scientific law about everything falling apart. There's an emotional effect that accompanies that in our lives and in society, is that as we live day to day watching things in our world, in our life, in our relationships, falling apart we tend to lose hope. It's a struggle common to everyone. There's a story I've shared about a young boy before. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story. This young boy was in a bad accident and was severely burned and was in the hospital. He was struggling and not really getting better. He had been in for a long time. And one day the school decided to send a tutor. He was following so far behind on his classwork that they thought, let's at least tutor him in the hospital. And the tutor shows up and just struggled watching this poor boy as he was suffering in the hospital bed with severe burns and wondering, why are we talking about math and nouns and adverbs when this poor child is suffering so much? But she did her best, struggled through the topics, and went home feeling rejected. The next day, the tutor came back, and one of the nurses pulled her aside and said, what did you do to that boy yesterday? And she said, I'm sorry, I I tried my best. I didn't mean to upset him. The nurse said, no. She said, ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment. It's as though he decided to live. This went on for several weeks. One day, somehow it came up and the boy exclaimed and said, I thought I was going to die. I assumed I was going to die and assumed everybody else around me thought that I was going to die. And he said to the tutor, and then you showed up and I knew something. Why would you teach nouns and adverbs and math to a dying child? 
He said, you must have thought that I was going to live. And so you thought I should learn these things. And it gave me hope because the tutor showed up. This boy had hope. Hope is powerful. And a lack of hope is extremely difficult. We feel so often the struggle of hope that becomes disappointed. We put hope in various things in our life. We put hope that, well, if I do this, or this happens, or I get this, then things will be better. And then things fall apart, as so often they do, and our hope becomes disappointed. But the opposite is true as well. Sometimes we have glimpses of things in our life when someone we depend upon does show up. Someone shows us love in a profound and magnificent way. There are times we catch glimpses of hope and it renews us and encourages us. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is not just hope that is wishful thinking. This is not hope that's going to be disappointed. This is hope that depends on something concrete in which we have historical evidence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is firm and irrefutable evidence that Jesus, the Son of God, has conquered sin and death. That's hope. That is a firm and lasting and real hope. In fact, Hebrews 6.19 puts it this way. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And those of you that went through the Deuteronomy Sunday school class, you understand the depth of the meaning there. Going all the way back into the Old Testament that God had been teaching His people for years and years and years. But even if you don't understand the culture and the background, you can understand something that is a firm and secure hope, an anchor for the soul. We need that kind of hope. I would hazard to guess that some of you today are struggling with hope. I'm not a prophet, not a psychologist, but I know myself, and I know some of you, and I know how people think and live. And hope is often hard to come by. Life gets very difficult. Sometimes our own choices or the choices of others put us in situations where we feel stuck and we feel like we've lost hope. And I want you to hear this truth today. A new and unshakable hope began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It began at the empty tomb. A hope that this moment, this sin, this struggle, this failure, this tragedy, this moment of hopelessness that seems to go on and on, that moment has been conquered. The price for sin has been paid by Jesus. Death has been conquered by Jesus. New life has been offered through Jesus Christ. We have this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know this hope is real. We know it's true. We know it's firm and unchanging because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Easter morning and a new hope has come. And essential to this new hope is the last thing I want to look at that we have certain from the empty tomb that new life was started at the empty tomb. 
From the moment we are born, a process begins at work in us. We see growth. We see as children grow up, they begin to learn, they begin to mature, and these things can be so beautiful and so wonderful. And as new parents, we're so proud, and and it's just joyous, and it's wondrous. But as we grow older, we begin to see other things at work in ourselves. We begin to see the power of death at work. It's easier to ignore it when we're young, but as we age, we feel this power at work in us more and more and more. Our bodies struggle and our energy wanes. We are, as I've said before, we are like flowers cut from their stems. We look full of life on the outside, but we have been cut off from the source of life. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. And we looked at this on Good Friday, how Jesus paid the price. He went ahead of us to the end that we were going toward. He went there for us and died for us in our place. And then on Easter morning, he rose from the dead, resurrected to new life. A new life that he then offers. And he says, I've done this for you. It is a free gift that Jesus Christ offers. A new life to all who would believe in him. A passage I often use at funerals is from John 11. It's it's the passage of the funeral of Lazarus. And John show, or I'm sorry, Jesus shows up and he's speaking to one of the sisters, Martha. And in the midst of the conversation, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? How dare he? How dare Jesus Christ or anybody else say that they are the way to life? Elsewhere in the book of John, he also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How dare he? That is the height of arrogance to proclaim that there is one way to the Father, that there is one way of salvation. Who does he think he is? He is the Son of God who became flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross in our place, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And he is the only one who did it and the only one who can do it. There is no other way of salvation because nobody else could fit this description and accomplish what Jesus Christ did. And we have the proof that he did this because he rose from the dead and many people said, I saw him. And they wrote down their testimony saying, I was there. I saw it. It is true. Only Jesus did that. But, please understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than just a fact. It's more than just something to say, yes, that's true. Just like the sky is blue and the sun is warm and the grass is green. Thank goodness, finally. But the truth of the resurrection is even more. It is something that must be accepted trusted in, and then experienced and lived out in our lives. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
But Christ lives in me and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul talking about? Paul didn't go to a cross. Paul was never crucified. Later on in his life, he was beheaded, but he wasn't put on a cross. So why is he saying, I am crucified with Christ? He wasn't the other two guys on the cross. He wasn't even there. Because Paul understands something about trusting in Jesus Christ. He understands that he is now a completely new person in Jesus Christ. He's not just a person going on about his life that added Jesus on going, oh, I'm a tent maker and a preacher and a teacher and all of these other things. Oh, and I'm a Christian. Paul looks at his life and says, this changed everything about me. Who I was was crucified on the cross with my Savior, Jesus Christ. And who I am is completely new through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul understands that since Jesus died and rose again, those who trust in Jesus as their Savior have everything that Jesus accomplished through the cross and the resurrection applied to them. And their life has been completely redefined by it. Friends, maybe you're feeling a bit like that boy in the hospital today. I don't know what you're struggling with and what you're going through. But maybe moment by moment, day after day, you are feeling like there is little to no hope. And that question comes up, why bother? It seems like nothing's going to change or ever get better. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Jesus did more than just send you a tutor. Jesus, the Son of God, left the throne room of heaven to be born in poverty. He was misunderstood and mistreated. He was he who was our sinless and perfect king was falsely accused, being a rebel and a sinner. But these things were lies about him. Jesus chose to allow himself to be arrested and go through the mockery of a trial. He chose to allow his hands and feet to be nailed to a cross in your place. Jesus chose to bear the punishment for your sin and for my sin. Jesus chose to cry out from the cross, it is finished. And then he chose to give up his life and to die in our place Jesus chose to conquer death and rise from the dead. He chose to use his life to cause death itself to work backwards so that through his death, it became the undoing of death and an offer of eternal life. Eternal life through the resurrection that Jesus chose on Easter morning to rise from the dead. A life that is offered to us without the taint of sin and death, without the constant disappointment of things falling apart, without the nagging guilt and fear that comes from our own sin, without the pain that comes from the sin of others against us. That is the new life that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And if the arrival of a tutor can give hope to a little boy, how much more so should the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, And the death in our place on the cross and the resurrection from the grave that gives us eternal life, how much more so should that give us hope and life today? Now, there was something started at the empty tomb. Something amazing that changes our world and changes our lives forever. 
But that which was started at the tomb requires something of us. It requires a response. John said this in John chapter 20, verse 31. Jesus had said the same thing to Martha in John chapter 11 when he said that he is the resurrection and the life. At the end of that verse, he said, do you believe this? And here in John 21, verse 31, but these are written that you may what? Nod and smile on Sunday mornings? Sing songs? Mark a checkbox on surveys? Yep, I'm a Christian. He says, these things are written that you may believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So friends, as we consider this morning the incredible truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the promise of a new creation, new hope, and new life, each one of us today, we need to ask that question, do we believe? The resurrection is not just some encouraging little tidbit to help us along our way of life. It's not just a little note of encouragement to make us feel better day after day. It is a new creation, a new hope, and a new life. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we are saying we want to live in that new creation. We will cling to the new hope and we are going to trust in the new life that Jesus has accomplished in us, a life that changes us forever. So I want you this morning to consider what is possibly and actually undoubtedly the most important question of your life. Do you believe in Jesus? John knew as he wrote these things down, as he saw Jesus, as he saw him on the cross, saw him risen from the dead, John knew others needed to hear it and he wrote it down and he wrote it for a purpose that we may believe. Something incredible and amazing was started at the empty tomb. Something life-giving, sin-unraveling, death-breaking, and universe-recreating. Something started at the empty tomb, and Jesus Christ offers to each one of us to be a part of that. And we can watch as the scattered pieces of our lives in this world are drawn back together as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at work in this world. And as one day Christ returns and all the pieces are put back perfectly, correctly, forever. The detonation of sin is reversed. And a new creation with new hope and new life will come forever and ever. Participation in this is easy. But it costs everything. It costs everything to Jesus Christ and he offers it to us free of charge. But we must believe. We must understand that we are different because of the empty tomb. And when we do, we become part of that incredible truth of what was started at the empty tomb. And my friends, I want each and every one of you to be a part of it. It is glorious. It is hard in this world at times. We live out of sync in many ways with the ways of this world and it's hard to hold on to something we believe so true and the world looks at us like we're crazy. But we keep on trusting. We keep on believing. 
We keep on living for Jesus and living out the truth of the resurrection because we look at those in the world that look at us like we're crazy and we need to be like John and say they need to know. And I want to tell them in the hopes that they might believe and be changed forever and ever. And so, in closing, I ask again, do you believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection? And if maybe before you didn't, but today you're hearing this and you're thinking, I want to, I want to believe, I need that kind of hope. I'm going to invite you to just pray and ask Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. I've fought you. I've kicked against you. I've gone my own way. But Jesus, I hear the truth of the cross and the resurrection. And I want that truth in my life. Let's all bow in a word of prayer. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's never accepted your son Jesus as their savior, may today be the day of their own spiritual resurrection. Today be the day that their life is changed forever and ever. As they simply say, yes, I believe. Father, it's such a simple word to say yes, but it changes our lives forever. We see ourselves like Paul did. We are crucified with Christ. The old us is dead, buried, and gone. We've been risen to new life, and we want to live that life out. And Father, we struggle. We struggle with temptation. We struggle with distractions. We so often get pulled back into the ways of this world. And yet I pray for those here that are Christians among us, I pray that we would fight the fight of faith to hold on to the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the change that that makes in our lives, and the hope that it offers to us and those around us. And I pray, Father, that those who are hearing this or, or it's breaking through for the first time, would you humble them? Show them how much you love them, that you love them enough to send your Son to die in their place and raise from the dead. And may today be the day they say, yes, I believe. Thank you, Father, for the crucifixion and the empty tomb. Thank you, Father, for your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.